Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. I'm Tony. We're helping you get through uh, Nancy Piercy's book, Finding Truth. And uh, we're uh, here uh, finishing up uh, her fourth principle in her five principles of unmasking atheism, secularism, and other God substitutes. And uh, we're we're internally critiquing uh, different worldviews that uh, attempt to explain the entirety of of, of, of the universe, of, of everything. And we're, we're showing that uh, when, when a competing worldview from, from the Christian worldview uh, attempts to uh, supplant God as his rightful position, uh, it becomes an idol, and that idol reduces um, humanity, it reduces uh, uh, truth claims, and uh, here we're saying that, um, that e- when applied to themselves, these uh, competing uh, truth claims uh, fail uh, under their own standard that they, they, they commit suicide, and so uh, we we got done with the the the, the physicals, uh, the the materialists, the the people that believe that there's only um, uh, uh, physical things out in the world. We've shown them to be inconsistent and therefore uh, self defeating, and now we're uh, moving to the things of the mind, the the things in the upper part of the attic that uh, Nancy Piercy and, and Francis Schaeffer have, uh, have talked about before. So we're gonna we're gonna critique postmodernism. She calls this uh, section postmodern prison, <laughs> and uh, so she asks, you know, okay, so we've just finished materialism. What about postmodernism? What happens to it if we apply the test of self-referential absurdity? What if we apply its truth claims to itself? What happens to it? Right? She says, as we saw earlier, postmodernism absolutizes the social group. It claims that uh, individuals are largely constituted by their membership in a community. When we absorb the language of our community in the process, we absorb its worldview, uh, the storyline or narrative it invokes to explain the world. That's its worldview, its storyline, its narrative. Thus, when we speak, we are only in externalizing a storyline that we have first assimilated from the uh, larger community that we're a part of. So that's what's going on, right? She says postmodernists express this idea using paradoxical statements like language speaks us rather than we speak language. Whoa, right? That's deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the point is that we cannot even think about uh, apart from language uh, that we've assimilated from our community. Nietzsche, with his typical flair, wrote that we are trapped in the prison house of language, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? That's his uh, echoes of uh, of uh, Neo trapped in the prison of his mind. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. Because worldviews are transmitted through language, postmodernists use the metaphor of language games, right? Now this comes out of uh, a, um, uh, an early 20th century uh, philosopher, Wittgenstein, talked about language games, so they picked this up, right? Just as a baseball and football are games with virtually no rules in common, right? In other words, you know, why, what makes baseball, base and football both games? I mean, they're totally different. Virtually no, you know, about the only same, only thing is you keep score, right? (laughs) But other than that, the score is kept differently. It's you score differently, you know? Uh, So if I play catch out in the yard, is, is that a game? You know, yes, probably, you know, what about board games? Why are they games, right? Do you keep score with all board games? So what is it, you know? And so um, 
So that's the issue that uh, Nietzsche was trying to help us to see with regard to this idea of language games, right? So football and baseball are virtually no rules in common. So worldviews are said to be language games, each with its own unique set of rules. But it's still a worldview. Mm-hmm. It's, it's made up of you know, this language game. Each community has its own language game for making sense of the world. Uh, what was called, um, uh, but there is no universal narrative, no meta-narrative, right, that is valid for all human beings at all times. Oops, be careful there. What do we see here, right? There's no meta-narrative that is valid for all human beings at all times. Ooh. Is that a meta I don't know if they want to say that, right? <laughs> this applies to everybody. There's no possibility that language games can be unified or totalized in a a meta discourse. Now notice, she says, yet uh, what reason can be given for us to accept this particular theory? Isn't uh, the theory's own view just one more language game like all the rest of them, right? Isn't then uh, uh, anybody who holds this theory trapped in the prison house of his own language, just like everyone else? Why should we pay attention to them at all, right? So most postmodernism, she tells us, is an example of what is called a performative contradiction, right? Which means that a uh, position is contradicted in the very act of asserting it. So a, a performative says that language, uh, when you assert something, there's a performance that's going on. For instance, uh, language does something. So, you know, there I am standing with my um, uh, my wife at the, in front of the church. The minister says, you know, uh, you know, all of these things I say I do, she says I do, and here comes the performative. I now pronounce you man and wife. So what has he done with his language? Well, he's accomplished something, right? He's performed something. So that's the idea of a performative. And so postmodernism, she says, an example of a performative contradiction which means that a position is contradicted uh, by the very act of asserting it. Right? Everyday examples of performative contradictions, including things like, cannot speak English, or I do not exist, <laughs> to make the statement I must exist, right? So when a postmodernist asserts that there is no universal valid truth, he is implicitly claiming that his own assertion is universally valid and true, right. and he can't say that, right? right? To make the statement, he's, he, he has to occupy the transcendental position that the postmodernists say doesn't exist. Thus, every time a postmodernist states his position, he contradicts it. The position is self-refuting. Yeah. yeah. So, it, and so, yeah, so postmodernism um, falls to the same critique as uh, materialism does. Mm-hmm. When you apply it to itself, it crashes and burns. Right. right. Uh, and we have uh, offshoots of, of uh, when uh, postmodernism thought is applied to things like uh, literary theory. It gives rise to what's called uh, deconstructionism. So again, uh, postmodernism, individuals are constituted by their membership within a community. That That's that's where it is. It's, you almost have a loss of, of, of the personal. You, you're, personal identity, you're, yeah. You're, you're just part of the collective. You're part of the group. You're part of... <laughs> And 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 how and that how, makes you who you are yeah. because you're part of the group, right? Yeah, right. And, and and it's really hard to see where those lines are drawn, but uh, you know. And and it affects all that you think and all that you say because you're only repeating what the rest of the group, yeah. you know, 
and thinking what the rest of the group has kind of, you know, you've immersed into has uh, you've assimilated, right? It's, it's the Borg collective. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so, and so you have, uh, literary critics like, uh, Roland Barthes, uh, who, uh, have, uh, uh, say that pieces of writing is merely a tissue of quotations absorbed from the surrounding uh, culture. He's best known for his slogan, the death of the author, uh, by which he means the death of the very concept of individual creativity. So, uh, the, the writers are, are, are just like, um, uh, these, these bards or these, these, um, shamans who of old have have taken the stories of their clan or their tribe or their community and and spun them a different way or, or utilize them to 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 apply to a, a, a particular person and and uh the kind of um you know uh everything is the odyssey you know <laughs> there's, yeah. there's 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 uh, man versus nature man versus man um uh, man versus god and and uh you know uh, homer's odyssey everything is just uh, d- derived from that and so any story that that uh, uh, attempts to, um, to 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 communicate um, uh, a story function uh, is ultimately just uh, just a uh, kind of this uh, um, uh, going back to a a Western civilization type um, uh, storyteller, uh, and, and it's not it's not something that they come up with. They're just they're just reforming it in their own in their own way. The authors did. Yeah, texts have no authors. Moreover, we all belong to a variety of communities based on attributes such as race, class, gender, ethnicity, and sexual identity, all with conflicting outlooks and interests. As a result, every author will unconsciously reflect conflicting social messages. For Barthes, a text is a mix in which a variety of writings, none of them original, blend and clash. So uh, you you have no new stories, and the ones that are are, uh, made up uh, they're conflicting with each other because uh, we all have uh, uh, different. We're we're all part of different groups. The goal, of yeah, the- and and there's none that are original. That's kind of an interesting, right? Uh, yeah. Saying none of them are original. So his obviously his isn't. You know, there's uh, <laughs> the fact that <laughs> that I belong to a particular race or class or gender. The gender is not original. I'm not sure where it's, it's always been. I guess it's it's. Uh, you know, eternal, yeah. the eternal ethnicity, the eternal self-identity, because none of it is well, and, and the stories are eternal. <laughs> you know, at, at, at some point, you, you have to you have to realize that the, and I, I know we're getting a little further here, but that the community, the collective, the the group is just made up of individuals and individuals act. It, it's it's like saying that uh, fashion, you know, uh, I, I, I wear these clothes because they're fashionable. Well, who made them fashionable? Well, the community did. You're you're wearing the style that you are. The, our hair is the way they are. You know, you look at the '70s and you're like, "Oh, zoot suits." Where, you know, where did zoot suits come from? That, that well, that's just the community, the collective. Well, no, individuals act, and individuals grew into a, a, a community who all wore zoot suits. And so that's where these 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 ideas come from. They come from individuals, uh, but uh, but that, that's not what they're trying to do here. So uh, a Bar's critique is that the or is is saying that the goal of, of the literary critic, the person who who um, who deconstructs uh, um, yeah who, who deconstructs uh, the the written word, uh, the the goal is to dig beneath the surface of the text to excavate and disentangle those clashing meanings. This is called deconstruction of the text, hence the term deconstructionism. Okay, what happens when we apply the theory to itself? As soon as deconstructionists get in the business of providing reasons, they are performing in the business of making claims and thus are subject to their own critique. 
what happens if we subject Barth's views to his own critique? We have to conclude that he too is merely a mouthpiece for social forces such as race, class, and gender. His own writings do not offer original or creative insights, but are merely collages of conflicting quotations absorbed <laughs> unconsciously from the communities which he belongs. The death of the author must include Barth himself. The death of the author oh, no. is suicide. He, <laughs> <laughs> he just killed himself. Oh, man. <laughs> Wow, talking about a performative utterance, right? Yes. <laughs> a performative contra- uh, con- uh, contradiction, right? Yeah. All writing means the death of the author, so and, his writing means his death. And, and and we've seen this 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 idea of like class conflict and and uh, you know like cr- critical race theory and and um, the social justice movement is this attempt to say you know you have the oppressor and the oppressed, and and these ideas seem to be only taking place in in kind of uh, a critique of the uh, the uncivilized world that 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 you know you have to be more high minded in order to to rise above this but you you never take that critique upon itself yeah yeah it's amazing <laughs> in practice the only way deconstructionists can function is to tacitly exempt themselves from it critiques is. they apply to everyone else it's such it an, elitist, the- an elitist an elitist <laughs> idea this is a leader. The angelic view, the God's eye view, yeah. you know, everybody but me view. Yes. Right? And, and not just me, but my writings, my, my words, my <laughs> very words have a special meaning that, 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 that it have created all new. of the rest of the reality. I mean, if, right? this isn't, if this isn't biblical language <laughs> through and through, I mean, this, this is, this is revelation. This is, this is, That's idea. Right. this is amazing stuff. <laughs> Ironically, postmodernists contradict their own view every time they write a book or an article. Uh, deconstructionists hope their their own work will be treated as a serious contribution from the creative mind, not merely a re- replay of cultural messages. Why do we like some movies better than others? Why why, why do why do um, you know why do we say oh I haven't seen that before? But why are we always saying oh I wish this 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 uh, a movie wouldn't be made from? Uh, you know, a comic book or, 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 or a book or something else out there when someone's like, oh, that, that, that just came out of nowhere? Oh, that's interesting. It, it may not be the greatest movie, but you're like, hey, at least I haven't read that before. At least I haven't seen that before. Ah, okay. Uh, theologian uh, Mark C. Taylor, himself a postmodernist, uh, don't know how he's a postmodernist and a theologian, but he explains the death of the author was an inevitable result of the death of God. The death of God was the disappearance of the author, capital A, who had inscribed absolute truth and uh, univocal, yeah, univocal meaning in world history. And because humans are made in the image of God, Taylor concludes that the death of God implies the disappearance of the author. For if there is no creator, then humans do not have dignity of being, uh, of, of being sub-creators. They are merely products of social historical forces. Oh, what a so, situation that we find ourselves yeah. in. And, uh, again, <clears throat> part of that's true, but it's not the whole. And they're trying to say, this is the whole. All of this is like this part, where that part can be true, but... Yeah, we we are social creatures, right? We are, to a certain extent, a product of our communities and and the various identities in our communities. Yes, we are, but we're more than that. We're created in the image of a transcendent creator. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there's there's no assumption that uh, like language, so so all the words that we're saying have have, have all always been said or, or have always <laughs> existed in our minds. The, the 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 evolution of language has has never happened, or that evolution 
uh, it goes back to the to the first words where where all language comes from everything. Well, I think that's a a, a biblical idea right there, and we probably don't want to say that. Or or just yeah. coming up with with new words. The, the, you know the the, the word um, uh, cool or meme or you know uh, uh, computer or robot. I mean, th- those are words that we we find enter into the lexicon and then become yeah. part part of the community from individuals. So, you know, it's it's wrong, but it's because they're taking the, the part and applying it to the whole. Yeah. All right. So uh, the next section is entitled Postmodernism and Terror. She says, to understand the source of postmodernism, we must place uh, its founders in their historical context, right? Uh, why were they so opposed to grand meta-narratives? She says the answer is that they viewed them as the source of brutal, oppressive political regimes, right? Most of the founders of postmodernism were Europeans who had witnessed firsthand uh, history's bloodiest and most oppressive political systems, Nazism and communism. And she says that as we saw in principle two, both of these systems center on a single principle, race, Nazism, or economic class communism. Both embrace a grand vision of history moving inexorably towards some ideal society. And both became totalitarian using their utopian visions to justify secret police and death camps. And so she's suggesting here that postmodernism was a reaction to this type of thing, right? They saw this, obviously that they understood this was terrible, and so they reacted to these types of things. After World War II, many European thinkers had suffered under these oppressive regimes, uh, decided that the source of totalitarianism lie in totalizing meta-narratives. So that's the, they suggested the source of these things. And so by totalizing, they meant a worldview that focuses on a single dimension of human experience, elevating it to a false absolute and subordinating uh, everything else uh, into its category, right? So when a one-dimensional totalizing worldview gains political power, those who disagree uh, will be marginalized, oppressed, left out, silenced, dominated, co-opted, controlled, conserved, uh, coerced, and all kinds of things, if you disagree. They will be stigmatized as different, perceived as the other, quote, locked up in concentration camps and so forth, almost bow to the state-enforced idol, will be burned in the furnace of opposition. (laughs) That's not like any regimes that we know of today. Mm, Maybe. (laughs) She says, postmodernism insight into the dynamics of false absolutes sound familiar. We've been making a similar critique showing how idols are created when some part of the creation is absolutized. So they get a portion of it right. Clearly, you don't want to absolutize one thing or one portion of the uh, of the creation. She says, but the mistake postmodernists make was to think that made was to think that the source of the problem was a commitment to any comprehensive truth. So in other words, in order not to absolutize one particular idea, they throw out, they blame it on truth and throw out truth. Right. That's, that's the idea here, right? She says, um, in the postmodern condition, Leotard says the uh, conviction that there is only one truth, the whole truth leads inevitably to terror. Mm. Uh, the 19th and 20th centuries have given us as much terror as we can take. 
we have paid a high price for the nostalgia of the whole and the one truth. So there's no whole and one truth. There are many meta narratives. And so we throw out the whole concept of something that, that that's absolutely true. right. And, and again, like I said, there, there's a point to that. If, if, if you, if you radicalize the people who, who uh, say, you know, uh, it's, it's this truth and there are implications to, to you, your family, because of that, then uh, you, you may have radicalization even in, you know, let, let, let's assume that it is true, even if it is true, radicalization of people. So this is attempting to say, uh, you know, well, you know, there, there's, there's no such thing as this, this overarching one truth. There, there should be many truths, but there you just come into to conflict between class, class and people and race and, and different uh, uh, social structures with, within the communities. Yeah, yeah, so they create their own conflicts, right? And they create their own, and so it's really the strongest survives or the strongest rules or that sort of thing. She says, postmodernists conclude that the way to challenge claims to absolute power was to challenge claims to absolute truth. So we can get rid of absolute power by challenging claims to absolute truth. There is no absolute truth, so that, that way we can challenge absolute power. As Eagleton puts it, postmodernism, quote, makes the mistake of uh, supposing that all passionate conviction is incessantly dogmatic and will end up with the gulag, right? <clears throat> but why is this a mistake? Well, because it's self-refuting. By rejecting any universal truth, postmodernism undercuts its own claim to truth. If there isn't any truth, then what you're saying isn't true either. Mm -hmm. Oops. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Moreover, without some universal standard of justice, there's no way to stand against injustice in our There's no ultimate standard of true what true justice is. Then how do you stand against any actions against people that we may think is injustice, right? Uh, as one philosopher writes, without timeless and universal moral principles, it seems that we cannot criticize the values of different cultures or times, no matter how repugnant they may seem. She says, think of it this way. If all claims can be deconstructed, then what about the claim that the rich should uh, not oppress the poor or that we should resist bigotry and racism? These tech claims, too, can be deconstructed. Thus, the postmodernism may appear to be radical. But it is, in fact, unable to uh, offer resistance to the political status quo. Yeah. Lived out consistently, postmodernism, she tells us, leads to complicity with evil and injustice. Right. Yeah, so the, 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 the oppressing of the poor. Uh, well, that's just how that society has collected itself into yeah. its, mm -hmm. its, you know, uh, language and social structure and all that. So who, who are you to say that that shouldn't yeah. be done? Why? why and there's no absolute truth with regard to whether or not you should do it, yeah. right? Whether or not it's good or bad, right? Um, there are no universal standards, right? It's each society, each community, each culture determines for itself. And that gets us right back into the same problem that they were attempting to avoid, right? Right. Now, instead of an individual, uh, it's the community or the collective ideas of the community that are oppressing and, you know, absolutizing uh, particular ideas. Yeah. And, and that leads right into the next portion where uh, the theory of uh, also leads to the uh, coercive suppression of diversity. Uh, but 
it seems odd because that, that's 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 the call. So uh, you have terror and 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 war and all this stuff because there's only one truth. So we get rid of truth, and all these uh, you know different things pop up, and we should we should want we should want that diversity. We should we should want more of those things popping up because then everyone uh, uh, won't fight with each other because there's not just one way to do things. Uh, it may sound ironic first, but it was postmodernists that made diversity such a potent buzzword in the first place. Postmodernists decided that if totalitarianism results from totalizing meta narratives, again, like the truth, uh, that there is one truth, then the way to prevent uh, concentration of power is to maintain a variety of mini narratives by celebrating the diversity of communities, their language games, and their language games. Postmodernists hope to avoid coercion of the society organized by a single absolutized category. In practice, however, only select groups are singled out to represent diversity certified victim groups based on things like race class gender ethnic group and sexual identity and we see that in the political structure today uh you know be diverse uh, don't don't exclude everybody oh but if you're conservative oh if you're libertarian oh if you uh are against abortion you you don't have a place within our diverse or, or if you have ideas. theological views right right those are out yeah, yeah. theological <laughs> views that tell me that i'm doing things wrong Oh, yeah, I can't have that. Uh, rarely is there a push for intellectual or political or theological diversity when those views run counter to postmodernism. Or, again, uh, wh whatever the prevailing uh, 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 um, uh, narrative. Yeah. Narrative, yeah. yeah whatever yeah. the political structure is, whatever the, the, the race or category is. Uh, and so analysis of problems in typical der is derived from Marx. Some groups said to be victimized and oppressed and the path to liberation is to revolt against the pressures, oppressors, often through political activism. Um, and, and that just goes back to or Orwell's um, uh, animal farm that, uh, that there are, that everyone is suppressed, but there are more. There are people that are more suppressed than others. So uh, <laughs> everyone's equal, but there are some pigs that are more equal than others. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and instead, we t uh, we tend to apply uh, Marxist criticism or feminist criticism or whatever the critics' preferred theory is. Uh, we we don't uh, uh, deal with issues of aesthetics such as style, structure, and composition. Um, uh, literary study helps to decide which side of the world historical class struggle they take, the side of the owners of the means of protection or the side of the workers. This and only this is uh, the real question in textual literacy. And, and you see that in a lot of the, the social sciences. Uh, politically correct university courses are not liberating students to think for themselves. They're turning students into uh, cadres of self-absorbed reactionaries ready to take orders from the, the fattish... Uh, Fattest theorists of the moment. So, so uh, th those that are the most popular, uh, because that are th that's the speaking to the most amount of groups. But that in itself is uh, a collectivist mindset. It's it's uh, a saying, oh, this is really popular. Well, how is it popular? Oh, because a lot of people view it as such. Well, okay, I thought we were about the oppressors. So, shouldn't we always be on the side of the the oppressed? <laughs> the, those things that aren't popular. Well, then that becomes a popular statement. So, again, this the self-refutation. -refut you caught in a little circle. Yeah, now. right. Yeah. I don't know how to get out of this. And I'm just talking about you know, what... what um, if you reject it and everybody else rejects it, now it becomes the popular thing. Yeah. Oh, so you got to, you know, what now what do you do, right. right? Wear my hat backwards. Now everyone's wearing their hat backwards. Now I wear it upside down. <laughs> 
the attraction of postmodern criticism, he writes, is that it allows you to pose as a superior thinker who humiliates naive believers by deconstructing their beliefs. You are always right. Uh, their behavior is entirely determined by the actions of powerful causalities coming from objective reality. They don't see, but that you, yes, you alone can see. Oh, well. Th- so this guy literally wrote this. Only he or the folks who agree with him can see this. Yeah. Bruno Latour. <laughs> uh, Postmodernists yeah. began with a noble goal of unmasking the implicit imperialism of, of modernist worldviews. Okay, good. But ironically, it has become imperialist, insisting that postmodernism and postmodernists alone have the ability to unmask everyone else's underlying interests and motives. Everything is the result of racism. Everything is racism. Uh, everything is, uh, is, is because you're rich. Everything is uh, because of this. Okay, but then is that also? Uh, is it because you have that social standing to say that? Well, yes. Okay, so no one should listen to you then, right? That, that's, that's what the, the call is for. An article in The Atlantic observes that political correctness morphed into a, a tyranny of speech codes, sensitive training, and book banning. Sounds real diverse. It doesn't sound at all like what, what uh, the, the, the rally cries uh, against uh, uh, certain um, uh, political and, and uh, uh, social movements of the 1940s were. The drive for diversity, which was uh, supposed to be the safeguard for uh, liberty, has itself become coercive and homogenizing. Diversity has become a code word for a new form of tyranny. And so uh, she asked the question in this next section, how can we prepare young people for the postmodernist theories they will encounter in the university, in the classroom, and that sort of thing? Yeah, and, right? and I would say uh, at the point of this book being read, that, that's, I think, where they were predominantly located. But now, yeah. I mean, now it's... it's Pervasive throughout all society. It's, it's in the culture. It's in the culture, yeah. and 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 uh, uh, the there's a quote from someone that says uh, uh, politics is downstream from culture. So it becomes cultural, then it becomes political, then it becomes normal, and then you have to. Uh, it's either uh, pervasive uh, uh, in 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 all three the the universities, the culture, and then uh, the uh, the political, or there's a revolution um, that that happens because of it. And unfortunately, yeah. it seems I, I don't know once you have. Uh, you know, uh, there are no men and women that, uh, that there's no thing as truth. I don't know how you rebel against that other than to go back and start all over. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea. There is truth. There are men. Yeah. <laughs> so again, you're caught in that circle. And then once you start that, then you have to rebel against that. And right. there you go. Right? right. She says, like every worldview, postmodernism offers genuine insights, especially in the critique of modernism. Enlightenment held an exalted view of the autonomous individual in possession of disembodied reason, right? Which supposedly lift him, lifted him above his tiny slot in time and space to live our timeless objective truth based on reason. By contrast, postmodernism insists that knowledge is always contextual. Persons are not disembodied consciousness. They are physical beings situated within communities and their worldviews are colored by cultural conditions, economic interests, and power relations. She says, yet in reacting against the Enlightenment, postmodernism falls off the horse on the other side, right? It reduces the individual to a patchwork of historical and social forces with no stable personal identity. 
And uh, the reason goes back to Hegel's historicism, which he talked about earlier, the implication that there's no such thing as human nature, so no stable, ideal blueprint for what it means to be human, no universal standard to tell us who we are and how to fulfill our true nature. And so, right, we are, we've lost ourselves, our individualization, right? As the existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre uh, puts it, there's no human nature, but because there is no God to have a concept. Essence precedes existence is what he uh, is what he said. Uh, we, uh, I'm sorry, existence precedes essence is what he claimed. It, since God isn't dead, since God is dead, we don't have any essence. We don't have any purpose. We just find ourselves in existence, and so now we have to create our own essence, our own purpose. And so he said, existence precedes essence, and so as a result, now. Everything I do is creating humanity, right? Everything I do because I'm adding to the essence of humanity. And so we find ourselves in despair and forlornment and all that kind of thing. So that was kind of uh, Sartre, what he was getting at here. He says, uh, just as species are constantly changing and evolving, so individuals must leave behind all stable standards and immerse themselves in the ceaseless flux of life, constantly creating and recreating themselves. She says, to use postmodern terms, the self is fluid and fragmented. Michel Foucault says his goal is the disassociation of the self by showing that our sense of being a coherent self is in reality an empty synthesis of past events. <laughs> so what exactly does this mean? Well, one philosopher explained uh, that for Foucault, our identities are fictionally anyway. Each of us is plural, right? And so we have all these various forces pulling us in many directions. But notice, if our identities are fictional, then who is Foucault? <laughs> and who is really speaking in his writing, right? When a postmodern states that it's impossible to obtain objectivity, uh, is that an objective statement? <laughs> the theory itself undercuts its claims, right? right? It commits suicide. Yeah. Right? There are no individuals in postmodernism, but I, as an individual, am saying that, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm, I'm no universal truth yeah. in postmodernism. Yeah. Or, or again, it's, it's, it's that like, is a universal truth. It's claim. that Borg type uh, thinking, but there's, there's no actuality based on that because, um, you know, yes, the, the Borg is, is one thing, uh, but you still have, you, you know, we are not the Borg. Uh, we haven't been assimilated into that. Uh, and we, we have these competing um, uh, communities that we're a part of. And so you would think that, uh, you know, and, and, and it's, it's not just uh, race, sex, class, uh, sexual orientation. I mean, it could be uh, I play Dungeons and Dragons and you don't. And that's a class uh, apart. So like or, the dungeon glass, Dungeons and Dragons group, right? Yeah, or a collective uh, or a PC society. Level. I mean, <laughs> you know, all these things are social constructs, just like, just like race, class, sex and everything else, right? Well, okay. Why not? Why not drill down into when you're the only uh, class person of of all those things? It's not just you know. Yes, uh, we are both males, but we're both of different age groups, and so does that put us in the same one or different ones? Well, I think. So your yeah. So your idea of social construction is socially constructed. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. so why should it matter over anybody else's idea? Right, right. right. But then, then to say the opposite—that we're only individuals—you uh, know, 
I'm talking to you. And therefore, we're part of a community. We have we have a common language. Uh, we're wanting to communicate with each other. There, there, you know, there's. I, I don't communicate with the ant. I, I don't have the ability to. Um, I wouldn't want to because they're ants. Gross. Um, and, and so, so we're, we're not part of a, a social class you wouldn't say the, the ant and the human are, are social beings. So, some might, but those are weird biologists. Um, and so to, to, I, I like the narrative of falling off the other side of the horse. Uh, you know, it's, it's the part parts are on the side. The whole is, is staying on the saddle. And so yes, yeah. yes, communities and yes, individuals, but not only communities and not only, uh, classes or, or, or communities. Yeah, yeah. So they're getting rid of themselves, right? She says, moreover, this one's contrary to human experience. Each of us experiences the inescapable, irresistible sense of being a coherent self, an active center of consciousness, not merely a passive locus of, you know, colliding social forces. Even as we undergo life changes, right? Growing older and that sort of thing. We're aware of an enduring core personality. The universality of this first-person awareness, even among those whose worldview denies it, is a clue that it is intrinsic to human experience. We are so constructed that we cannot live consistently on the basis of the postmodernist radical reductionism. And neither can they. The truth of general revelation, she says, cannot be ultimately suppressed. You know, again, they run into the wall. Uh, So the problem of how to balance our individual identity with our membership and communities is a perennial question known in philosophy as the one and the many or unity and diversity. And this, this, uh, this is a, a, a big question, right? In philosophy, the one and the many issue. Not as much as it has, it has been in the past. Okay. So, so things have, have gotten figured out since, since. Well, no, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we just don't do a lot of metaphysics anymore. Oh, okay. So, so, so we've, we've shuffed it off on the on the on the uh, on the in the attic. And we've yeah. yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, unfortunately, uh, darn Christianity offers an answer that is surprising and unique. Uh, it teaches the human race was created in the image of God, who is a triunity, three persons, uh, so so intimately related as to constitute one Godhead. God's uh, own nature consists in uh, reciprocal love and communications among the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Spirit, but the one and the many, both individually and relationship, exist within the divine nature. So, so uh, the Trinity resolves and so solves this particular one and many yeah. problem, right? yeah. and unity and diversity. We have it in the Trinity. I think uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Scott Oliphant uh, would, would probably like this chapter because uh, his co- covenantal apologetics seems to, to to want to focus a lot on on um, uh, Trinity responses like this. Uh, t- the perfect balance of unity and diversity within the Trinity offers a model for human social life and a solution to the opposing poles of postmodernism and modernism. Against postmodernist uh, dissolution of the self, the Trinity implies the dignity of the individual self, just as each person within the Trinity is distinct and plays a unique role in the drama of salvation. So individual persons have a unique identity and purpose. Um, and, and she goes on to, 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 to list a lot. And I, I would actually um, not want to dive uh, deeper into this, this portion, but because uh, um, I would essentially be reading it because I think she offers yeah. a lot of, a, a lot of good works here. So um, at least for, for our books, it starts on page uh, 209 and goes to, 
to 212. But uh, Christianity agrees with postmodernist critique of the Enlightenment notion of disembodied consciousness and um, goes on to explain that. Christianity refuses to uh, reduce individuals to their communities, as postmodernists uh, does. And um, uh, Christians are reborn into redeemed communities that transcend all natural communities. So again, uh, the, the, the church, the trinity, um, the, the Godhead, um, th- these these views produce a wonderful balance in practice within the church. Diversity based on uh, physical origins are, are kind of done away with, but they're also celebrated. And uh, remarkably, uh, atheist uh, Marxist philosopher has written uh, movingly of the gospel's liberating legacy. The church itself is intended to be a powerful, apologetic, a visible, living expression of biblical, uh, of the Bible's balanced view. Every local <laughs> church is a letter from Christ written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Uh, Francis Schaeffer calls so, the visible manifestation of love among Christians the final apologetic, the single most likely to attract the attention of a jaded world. They'll know, they'll know we are Christians <laughs> by our love. Right, that's yeah. the apologetic. And again, I, I I briefly walked through there because I uh, again I when I was reading it, I'm like, if I'm gonna highlight things to point out here, I'm just gonna start underlining all of it, and you know, then you you reverse highlight and you highlight only the things you don't want to highlight. <laughs> <laughs> so in this last portion, what she does is she considers the good uh, of each of these various uh, theories and shows how Christianity. And envelops all of them together. Right. Again, that's because, really what she does. Because they're 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 reducing the whole to the part and saying this is what everything is. And while that's true, there there is a part that is true. Uh it's not it's not representative of the whole. And so Christianity then speaks both to the part and to the whole. It's trying to put it's trying to put you on the saddle and keep you there. It's trying to put you on the train, on the train tracks and keep you down there. That's right. Yeah, and keep you there, right? Yeah. So materialism, she says, uh, you know, I had great respect for the material world. The physical universe is not just a product of chance, though. The earth is not a rock spinning through empty space with no higher purpose or meaning. Instead, the physical universe was brought into being by a God of love and beauty, and it's a product of plan and design. So there, you, you have, so you have both and. Yes, it is a physical universe, but it's also more than that. Right. And it has purpose, it has design, and that sort of thing. Empiricism. To counter empiricism, Christians show that biblical worldview offers a better basis for trusting our senses. You know, the flaw in empiricism is that we cannot give any guarantee that we perceive through the senses is true. Right? In other words, how do I know that the chair is there? Well, only by my senses. All right? Well, how, do, how can I trust my senses that the, that, that is a chair? So, so that's the problem. She says, um, you know, we can't stand outside of our head to gain an independent advantage of what we're perceiving. So the only adequate basis for confidence in sensory knowledge is the biblical teaching that a creator designed our sensory apparatus to function reliably in the world he created. And so she does this with rationalism, right? She says that we can uh, show that Christianity honors human rationalism as part of the image of God, right? But we're more than just rational. We're loving creatures as well. And postmodernism, to counter postmodernism, she says Christianity offers an even more radical insight into contingencies of human knowledge. Postmodernism reduced knowledge claims to expression of interests and power based on race, class, gender, ethnicity, and that sort of thing. But the biblical teaching on idols cuts through much deeper, right? The Bible teaches that the overriding factor in the choices we make is our commitment to a concept of the divine. 
right? In other words, your idol or your true God, true and the living God. Our lives are shapes, shaped by the God we worship rather than um, whether the God of the Bible or some substitute. So she says in concluding, uh, in every area, Christianity encompasses valid insights of the other worldviews while avoiding their weaknesses. So Christianity is so attractive to atheists, um, the atheists keep reaching over and borrowing them, borrow, uh, borrowing them, which was the point we made earlier, and um, and because it's so attractive, it, it it puts all of them together and they work together as a whole, as opposed to this reductionistic idea. Yeah, they can't. They can't help it. They're made in the image of God. They they do these things because they can't. They can't divorce themselves away from that. Uh, they they're they're able to uh, be an enemy of God. They're they're able to um, to d- deny. They're able to replace uh, with an idol. Uh, but ultimately, uh, God is even above the idols, and so uh, it's it's just incorrect thinking and worship uh, to. Uh, replace or to uh, attempt to replace God with a knife. Reduce, yeah, yeah, and and, and so that, that's God. that's when you run into trouble, and that's that's the great part of of, of this this fourth point of an inc- internal critique. It it's it's one thing to say Christianity is wrong uh, on on how the universe came to be. Okay, fine. There's conversations to be had within that, but then okay, so how how are we? How did we come to be? How how are we existing? How do we function? How do we act? Uh, what is truth? What, uh, what is morality? Uh, th- those are th- those are things that or doesn't even exist. <laughs> those are things that everyone has to put forth in some capacity. Um, you know, you could say I'm still working on this, but okay, let, let's bring into the the the, the arena of ideas and, and take a look at it. And one of the, the the main ones to do is can it substantiate its own weight? You know, Christianity can, and so we think that Christianity has uh, meets meets um, meets. All the principles it doesn't reduce. It's internally consistent. It it uh, it um, um, talks about uh, what we see in the world. Um, that's just what we see in the yeah, world. Yeah. It it, it it gives us the ability to uh, for the uh, intelligibility of knowledge. Um, it, uh, it allows us to um, predict things. Rationalization, yeah, reason to, to know uh, what what's moral, what's not. Um, and and so there's that. And so can can other worldviews do that? And and and. Without borrowing from Christianity. Well, I mean, that's that's the big one. Because, you know, at yeah. some point, you're borrowing so much that you should just call yourself a Christian. Well, what we call them is created in the image of God. That's why they're doing it. Right. right. They're, you know, unless they believe in Jesus Christ, obviously they're not Christians, but uh, they are created in the image of God. Right. And that yeah. And so, and, and so there are implications to being created in the image of God that we should... Uh, by our very nature, uh, accepting uh, accepting Christ is, is one of those. So, um, so th- th- that was uh, principle four. We we have one more principle, principle five, which is uh, also a fun one. Uh, and and um, from there, uh, there's a concluding uh, chapter that's probably going to be one or two episodes as well. Um, so we still got a little bit in the book to do. It's not always late to to pick up finding truth. Um, you can do that in Kindle. Uh, you can do it in physical, and uh, uh, you can go through um, our, our our audio library. Uh, Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio. There's a whole bunch of them that listen on the website. Cavethecross.com. Um, our blog's there. Do a little writing. Uh, book deals are on there. Um, Patreon, if you want to throw us a few bucks, that's great. And um, uh, our YouTube channel, where you can see our pretty faces, are available uh, on there as well. So thanks for joining us, and hopefully see you back for the concluding uh, uh, fifth principle.
Yeah. See you next time.